1: So episode 748 of the Al Goldie podcast, it is Thursday, January 25th, 2024, the day after perhaps the greatest quarterback in Maryland history, Boomer Esiason dropped quite the boom for us as Commanders fans. This was Boomer on his show, Boomer and Geo, on WFAN Radio in New York and on CBS Sports Network on television on Wednesday morning.
0: I'll tell you who the best coach available is to make him the best player he can be. His name is Ben Johnson. He's the offense coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Never runs, been a head coach, though. I know. Runs an unbelievable offense, but he's gonna be the head coach of the commanders. I told you that. So you're telling me that's that's a lock. Yeah.
2: Head coach of the commanders. Yes. Ben Johnson. Yes.
1: All right, now that's not exactly a shocking revelation, and it's not like Boomer Esiason is a noted NFL insider, but he is a noted NFL analyst, and that was a confident declaration that Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson will be the Commanders' next head coach. Just another brick in the wall. That is uh, my belief, and I know the belief of many of you that Ben Johnson will be. The commander's next head coach. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. It is official. Jim Harbaugh has left his job as Michigan head coach to become the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is back. In the NFL, uh, the Chargers made the announcement on Wednesday night. That is going to be fascinating. Harbaugh with quarterback Justin Herbert and the Chargers. But for our purposes as Commanders fans, uh, that leaves now just four head coaching openings in the NFL. Uh, those four, the Commanders, Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, and Seattle Seahawks. Coming up next segment, we're going to get great insight on a non-Ben Johnson head coaching candidate for the Commanders, Houston Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. The Commanders on Tuesday reportedly interviewed Slowick for a second time. He and Johnson are the only external offensive-minded coaches who the Commanders reportedly have interviewed for their head coaching vacancy. And so we're going to chat with Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610 KILT In Houston, Uh, Sean is really good. He's going to tell us about the work of Bobby Slowick as Texans offensive coordinator in getting so much at a rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud, this season. Sean is going to tell us whether Slowick is ready to be an NFL head coach. Sean is going to tell us an interesting nugget from former Redskins quarterback, Case Keenum, regarding Slowick. Sean is going to get into the big-time turnaround for the Texans, led by D'Amico Ryans in his first season as the team's head coach coach, uh, the kind of thing that we'd like to see here next season. All of that and more next segment. Also on the show, the Capitals, they late night on Wednesday night got slammed a 6-2 loss at the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, The Caps are not going well. Uh, Three consecutive regulation losses now for the first time this NHL regular season, and the Caps over those three losses have been outscored 14.5. I have a wizard segment for you as ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj! has some interesting stuff on the Wizards potentially trading Kyle Kuzma. And the Wizards had a game on Wednesday night, a 118-107 loss to the Western Conference-leading Minnesota Timberwolves at Capital One Arena. The uh, Timberwolves are tied with the Oklahoma City Thunder for the best record in the Western Conference. And we have college basketball to discuss wins for Maryland and Virginia. On Wednesday night, the Terrapins overcame a 10-point First-half deficit and one at Iowa, 69-67, Thanks to 6'1 point guard Jameer Young connecting on a game-winning driving layup with 1.5 seconds left in the second half. Young was so clutch in that second half. Uh, The Cavaliers, they blew a 14-point second-half lead, but they defeated NC State 59-53 in overtime at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia. You can hit me up on x at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at Yahoo.com. Email from Connor Davis on a perceived slight from the San Francisco 49ers on Commanders General Manager Adam Peters, who of course left his job as Niners Assistant GM to become Commanders GM. Writes Connor, did you see this piece on Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch before their game this past weekend? The piece was well done, but guess who was not mentioned or shown once? Adam Peters, the guy who has been said to have been a huge part of the Niners rebuild and the Niners sustained winning. He was not mentioned at all. I don't know if the Niners were trying to slide him or what, but I found it very odd that this puff piece (laughs) came out after the Niners lost Adam Peters to the commanders. What say you? Uh, well thank you for the email Connor uh so the piece was by Fox Sports you can find the piece online the headline for the video is quote John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have built 49ers into a strong Super Bowl contender end quote and then beneath the headline reads quote John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan built the San Francisco 49ers into a strong Super Bowl contender through the draft and trades will this be the year that they can finally win? the Super Bowl, end quote. Uh, I don't know that this piece was meant as a slight at Adam Peters. First of all, the piece was done by Fox Sports, not the Niners. Second of all, these video pieces many times are really basic and do not drill very deep. So it's not stunning that only the top two player personnel people for the Niners. Head coach Kyle Shanahan and president of football operations and general manager John Lynch would be highlighted. I mean, John Lynch has not been shy about praising Adam Peters. Uh, Lynch told Commanders.com senior writer Zach Selby in a piece that came out on January 17th that Peters, during his time with the Denver Broncos, voiced disagreement With the team's head of football operations, John Elway, said Lynch in the piece of Peters, quote, he was somewhat bold. Adam, in a very tactful way, would say, no, I think we should look at this player more. So he had a little gumption to him and a little conviction. When he was convicted, he wasn't afraid to say it. And that always impressed me. End quote. So how about that? Adam Peters standing up John Elway, and understand Peters for the Broncos worked in the scouting department. Peters really wasn't that high up in the Broncos organizational hierarchy. I mean, he climbed the ladder. Uh, He was there for eight seasons, 2009 through 2016. But yeah, Adam Peters with the gumption, with the hutzpah, to stand up. To the great John Elway, email from Phil on the commander's head coaching search, writes, Phil, love the show. I understand your reasons for preferring that the commanders hire a young first time head coach with a background in offense. But I do worry that there is a pattern. If you've just fired a young, fresh head coach, then it's easy to be biased toward a veteran head coach. And if you just fired a veteran head coach, it's easy to crave a fresh voice. And that was basically the pattern during Dan Snyder's ownership of the team. North Turner, fresh. Marty Schottenheimer, veteran. Steve Spurrier, fresh. Joe Gibbs, veteran. Jim Zorn, fresh. Mike Shanahan, veteran. Jay Gruden, fresh. Ron Rivera, veteran. The Capitals have had the same pattern since Adam Oates, was their head coach. The commanders should not make a bad hire just to break the pattern. If the best candidate out there is a fresh, young offensive coach, that's great. But if the team believes that Mike Vrabel or Raheem Morris or even Dan Quinn is most impressive, it is possibly a sign that the evaluation was objective and that the team isn't having the obvious emotional reaction to four seasons with a failed veteran Head coach. Uh, thank you for the email, Phil. Very good point. I don't disagree. Uh, I believe that the commanders should prefer to hire a young, offensive minded, first time head coach. I believe that they do have that preference, but they should not force anything. That is true. Uh, the commanders should be open minded to everything. And here's something for anyone planning a wedding to be open minded to catering by Uptown. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service, and it now is offering a special deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Newly engaged couples can get 5% off any Catering by Uptown wedding package. Just call 301-572-7744, set up your own personal tour of one of Catering by Uptown's premier waterfront venues, and mention that Al Galdi sent ya to get the discount. If you're planning a wedding, you want great service, but also a great price. Catering by Uptown provides both. Call 301-572-7744 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Catering by Uptown also can help you if you're planning a party or a corporate event. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. And don't forget about the great offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Newly engaged couples can get 5% off any Catering by Uptown wedding package. Just call 301-572-7744. Set up your own personal tour of one of Catering by Uptown's premier waterfront venues and mention that Al Galdi sent you to get that discount. That's 301 301- 572 Five seven two seven seven four four, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, please consider following the podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of the podcast. So it sure seems like Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson is the number one target of the commanders to be their next head coach and is the favorite to be the team's next head coach, but the team is continuing to interview other candidates, uh, in part because the team can't conduct a second interview of Johnson until next week. Uh, there are eight reported people who the commanders have interviewed for their head coaching job, uh, but just three are offensive-minded coaches. Uh, Johnson is one. Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is another, although I think that that interview was much more about hearing Eric's thoughts about the roster in this past season and was about doing him a solid, then that interview was about him seriously being considered to be the commander's next head coach. Uh, And then there is Houston Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. The commanders on Tuesday reportedly conducted a second interview of Sloic. Uh Bobby Slowick was with the Redskins years ago. He was a low-level assistant for the Skins for the 2010 through 2013 seasons. He was a video assistant for the 2010 season. He was a defensive assistant for the 2011 through 2013 seasons. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, of course, was the Skins' offensive coordinator for those four seasons. Kyle became San Francisco 49ers head coach in February 2017. Slowick was on Kyle's Niners staff for the 2017 through 2022 seasons, including serving as offensive passing game coordinator. For the 2022 season, which was quarterback Brock Purdy's great rookie season, and Slowick was with the Niners during most of Commander's general manager Adam Peters' time as a Niners executive. Uh, Slowick spent this season as the Texans' offensive coordinator. The Texans for the 2023 regular season were number 14 in the NFL in total offense per DVOA, but the Texans this season got a tremendous rookie season from quarterback C.J. Stroud, uh, who they took with the number two overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. The head coaching candidacy of Bobby Slowick is tricky. He has only been an offensive coordinator for one season. He's only 36 years old. However, Ben Johnson has only been an offensive coordinator for two seasons, and he's only 37 years old. Uh, Also, Bobby Slowick worked for Pro Football Focus, during his time between working for the Skins and then Niners. How serious of a head coaching candidate for the Commanders should Bobby Slowick be? I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610 KILT in Houston. You can follow Sean on X at Sean Bajani, and that's spelled S-H-A-U-N-B-I-J-E. A-N-I. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm good. I'm good.
3: It's good to talk to you, man. It's been a hell of a ride this football season. I know that uh, for uh, both of us uh, regarding uh, different paths, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it, was, uh, it was a really, really fun season and I'm looking forward to the offseason.
1: Yeah, the ride that your team had this season, very different than the ride that my team had (laughs) this season. Uh, Before we get to Bobby Slowick specifically, the Texans this season, their first season with D'Amico Ryans as head coach, 10-7 and in the regular season, won the AFC South and won a playoff game, all of this off three consecutive double-digit loss regular seasons. Were you surprised at how well this Texan season went. You, you never really know what
3: it's going to look like. You never know what it's going to feel like. Um, I I I, I want to say I was surprised, but again, as we're you know watching this team being built uh, from the moment that the ownership made really the only decision that I thought it could have made that would have made sense for this team when they hired D'Amico Ryan's. When they do that, it's kind of like, okay, anything can happen here Um, because in a lot of people's minds here in the city of Houston, that was really the only clear path to success. Um, Even though he had never been a head coach anywhere before, you look at the resume with the defensive coordinator uh, the two-year run that he had in San Francisco and just how he'd slowly kind of come up. And I say slowly I mean it was only six years in Frisco as a coach, but he'd really taken his time. You could see that and hear that from uh, whenever you first spoke to him. But aside from that, I thought the Texans We're in a weird spot because even though the three previous seasons, they had obviously set themselves up for a massive teardown. It was really in 2022 where they'd added some veteran pieces to kind of stabilize a locker room that knew and understood what was still happening and you were able to retain some of those veteran pieces that turned out to be pretty key. Jerry Hughes, you know, just one of them, Malik Collins on the defensive line, was another. So you could kind of see that there were some foundational pieces already in place, knowing that you were going to have a great opportunity to nab the quarterback that you wanted. And we all know, obviously, how that turned out. Um, I'm sure you guys in Washington fully understand that um, a lot of people uh, and it very well could have been the case. thought the Texans wanted all along Bryce Young. didn't turn out that way. They had to settle for uh, sloppy seconds, if you will. It turned out. But I-, I just in short, I guess I have to say that kind of no, I'm not really surprised that the Texans had success this season. I thought they were going to be a team when you got to weeks, you know, 13, 14, 15 in the season, that they were going to be that team on the right side of your television screen uh, underneath in the hunt. And they were all season long. And I think maybe the most surprising thing about this team, one of the best redeeming qualities about it, is the overall culture change that was not really just brought in by D'Amico Ryans, but C.J. Stroud, Tank Dell, and Will Anderson, a lot of these other younger guys, even second- and third-year players, um, like Jonathan Gernard, who's up for a big deal. Um, so I think it was really the belief factor that kind of helped them achieve what they did this season. Um, And that's, you know, look, getting to a divisional playoff game uh, for just the second or third time in franchise history, having an opportunity to go play for an AFC championship. So I think in that regard, how far they went with it, yeah, it's, it's, it's surprising, no doubt. But them being a team that was one of the latest to undergo a massive turnaround, I would say not. Just historically speaking, Al, you go back, and you guys will be talking about this. I think it's 21 out of the last 23 NFL seasons now. At least one team has gone from last to first within their division. It's about the sustainability factor now. Everybody had their eyes on the Jacksonville Jaguars um, this past year, thinking that, hey, they won the AFC South. They're going to control the division now. And then obviously you can see from the results this year, injury certainly played a part in it, not being able to spend free agent money. Played a part in it because they'd spent so heavily a year before, they weren't able to sustain it. All eyes are going to be on the Texans, and it's going to be cool to talk about the culture, going to be cool to talk about the quarterback, but can they sustain this type of success? That's going to be the question.
1: All right, Bobby Slowick, what do you make of him potentially becoming a head coach off just one season as Texans' offensive coordinator?
3: He's got the chops. He really does. He's got the chops. Um, we spoke all season long amongst ourselves in the media uh, about just how forthright, transparent, um, honest um, he was. And, and when, when I say that, I, I really am talking about from a football perspective. I mean, he didn't shy away from any question. When when he called a stinker of a game, he owned it. There was obviously a couple of those. Um Week one against the Baltimore Ravens. He said that game was one that really rocked his boat um, and decided to change everything literally the next day afterwards in terms of how he was going to call this offense and what he and C.J. Stroud and the rest of that crew uh, thought this offense was going to be. They changed course right away, and it it, it, it benefited them. He spoke about that this, uh, this past week leading up to the uh, divisional round game against the Baltimore Ravens. And there was another game in there, I can't remember, but uh, we just remember. I remember looking at each other thinking, like, boy, you don't hear an offensive coordinator talk like this all the time and granted it was a drastic change from what we'd kind of come from here in houston with pep hamilton who miraculously some way somehow was thought to be a top five head coaching candidate like five or six years ago and you see how that turned out i mean what a stinker that was um but look bobby sloak's got the chops i think he's got the smarts you mentioned it briefly he was a defensive assistant uh in washington for you guys back in 2011 2012 and 13. Um, He. He had to be. He has to be alluring to some degree for Washington because of the familiarity uh, with the city, with the organization, Um, his impressive resume, and I think it really is just impressive. He started on the defensive side of the ball, as we're talking about, moved to pro football focus for you know a few years, studied both sides of the ball there. Before latching on to uh, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, spent even I think a year or two under the defensive side of the ball there before moving to offense. He understands the game, and I think it works so well here in Houston this season because of that, but also because of the type of coach that the Texans had brought in—a guy who maybe understands the defensive side of the game as well as anybody in D'Amico Ryan's, and who has admittedly himself you know, made made great efforts to understand more the offensive side of the ball. How could you not both coming from Kyle Shanahan's tree in San Francisco? That's kind of a prerequisite. If you're going to work for him, you're going to have to understand not just your assignment, but the entire team, the entire game. So I think from that, I, I would say Bobby Slowick should draw interest, but personally, I think it's very hard for me to see, and I think it's very hard for a lot of people in Houston to see that Bobby's ready to take that next step to lead a team, mainly because we just haven't seen it. We don't know. Now, I will say this. I think it's very interesting. And you have to go back to 2019, and Al, maybe you can help me on this. I don't think it's really happened since. But if you go back to 2019, when Cincinnati hired Zach Taylor, the Browns hired uh, Freddie Kitchens, and Matt, Matt LaFleur got a job in Green Bay, all three of those guys had a year or less than experience in the NFL or anywhere as a coordinator. Two of those three worked out pretty well in Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur, but Freddie Kitchens, it was Cleveland, that's just what they do. (laughs) Um, You can excuse that away, but I I think there's a reason why over the last four or five offseasons we haven't seen NFL teams really be laissez-faire about hiring a guy with such little experience. It would be very interesting to me if Bobby Slowick did get A job to his liking that he thought he'd fit in well with. And to be quite honest with you, I only think there's two of them out there. I think it's Washington and Carolina this year.
1: You mentioned that Bobby Slowick changed the Texans' offense after the 25 9 loss at the Baltimore Ravens in week one. What was the Texans' offense supposed to be and what did it end up being?
3: Well, you know, he wasn't exactly transparent about that, but I think if you kind of go back and look, and and see what their game plan appeared to have been against Baltimore. It was very much how Nico Collins had been used previously, mainly as a boundary receiver, a deep threat guy. Tank Dell was hardly used at all in that game, especially early on. Robert Woods was a key piece uh, for C.J. in that game, especially in the second half, and even into the Indianapolis game, really, the first few weeks, to be honest with you, as Mr. Third Down, if he needed a guy to move the chains, it was, it was Robert Woods. Dalton Schultz didn't emerge until later on. I think it was Bobby Sloak's willingness, and this is something else that he, too, talked about, to to listen to his players even during the game trust what they're seeing in an individual matchup in coverage in their disguises trusting them as football players and then pivoting adjusting to it where tank Dell and Nico Collins and Robert woods and really that entire receiver court they'd said numerous times this season that hey you know Bobby's great because we can tell him you know what we're seeing what we think we should be able to do hey dial this up and Bobby would do it He'd listen. He'd pivot right away. And so I think Bobby thought that he was going to have his scheme run it the way that he envisioned it, and that was going to be it. You follow the playbook. I think he really showed his ability to listen to his players and to pivot and to make in-game adjustments, which is so hard, Al, for especially young coordinators, but even seasoned ones that – know their offense, and hey, this is the way that it's going to be, and I think that is a, a, a necessary redeeming quality that you have to have in a head coach, somebody that's going to listen to their coaches, listen to their players, and understand that you know what, it doesn't always have to be by the book, this is my team, I've got to help build, I've got to help them by building around them and what they do well, not just what I think my system or scheme does well. So I think that's probably it, I know it's a little bit general, but I mean, what are you going to get from an NFL coach? Um, they're not going to tell you the game plans. But that's just kind of what I observed, and that's how it played out this season. And I thought it worked remarkably well because of that uh, ability by Sloak to listen to his guys.
1: Much more with Sean Bajani on Bobby Sloak in moments. Uh, as this Commanders head coaching search and this uh, super important 2024 Commanders offseason continues, make sure that you're listening To this podcast, and if you're on Instagram, make sure that you're following at WSH on the Daily. WSH on the Daily just started in 2021 and yet has more than 24,000 followers and is literally daily. The page is updated every day. Uh, All kinds of good stuff on the Commander's Head Coaching search. Uh, WSH on the Daily is a page that properly sources and vets its news and information, doesn't just post anything that anyone says. Uh, WSH on the Daily is a great place at which you can converse with other Commander's fans regarding the team, the draft, free agency, and trades. Uh, WSH on the Daily responds to Every single DM uh, WSH on the daily is a page at which you can have fun, including the contest name that Redskin and free wallpaper Wednesday and WSH on the daily always has a great fresh look. If you're on Instagram, check out at WSH on the daily and check out at WSH on the Daily's online shop, WSH on the uh, Some outstanding gear, shirts, hoodies, excellent material, modern look. Uh, These are breathable and comfortable clothes, and they come with all kinds of looks. Some of the more popular shirts are those with the phrase, fight for old DC. So for smart, informative, fun, and engaging commander's content, check out at WSH on the daily on Instagram. And for great merch, visit WSH on the daily.com. More now with Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610-KILT in Houston on Bobby Slowick as a head coaching candidate for the Commanders. Uh, This may be an impossible question to answer, but I'll ask the question anyway. Uh, With how well C.J. Stroud's rookie season went, what's your sense of how much of that was Stroud just being really good versus how much was Slowick doing a really good job with Stroud?
3: Well, understand the offense first. Um, last off season, I talked to Case Keenum, uh, who was their third-string quarterback and really kind of de facto backup quarterback this year. Whenever Stroud went out, he was generally the guy the Texans went with uh, over Davis Mills. But I talked to Kane Keenum last year, and he told me exclusively, and he'd since shared this during the course of the season with the rest of the media, but that you know the West Coast offense and Bobby Sloak's version was really the greatest hits, as he coined it, of the West Coast system. And I thought that was interesting from the moment that he spit those words out of his mouth, and that, you know what, okay, my follow-up was, well, we know this is a very complex system. We know that it's very difficult to learn. There's a lot of verbiage. The playbook is like a Bible. It's huge. Why is this the best fit for C.J. Stroud, a young rookie quarterback coming in, having to learn all of this? And you know he's going to be the guy from day one. And he said, "It's the greatest hits. It's a very quarterback-friendly system. A lot of the onus is on the center to make the line calls. Um, quarterback, you know, has some flexibility there um, that can do that. And I think they learned right away from understanding the offense that Stroud had come from in Ohio at Ohio State that." He had the chops. He had he had what was between the years that was necessary to identify what he's seeing in a defense. So that made it easier on Bobby to kind of expand a little bit and get through game plans, get through conversations faster as slowly like could talked about here recently. One of the things that was most impressive to him is that how smart and how prepared CJ was before they'd even come in for a meeting. And that was That gave them the ability to just kind of get through and not have to stop and review, stop and go over, uh, not just for CJ, but for the rest of the offense and, and team meetings, what they wanted to accomplish, what the game plan was, what the thought process was, why are we running this play, that type of stuff. CJ understood it. And the Texans had a lot of cerebral guys, so I think it's a little bit of both. Al, to be honest with you, I think they had success because Bobby's system, him putting his own thumbprint on this West Coast greatest hits version of it, um, was was tailored to Stroud because he could handle it. And I also think people severely underestimated CJ Stroud's ability to read a defense and didn't talk near enough about his arm strength. Didn't talk near enough about his accuracy. Didn't talk near enough to be honest with you, and this is—we're all to blame for this. But the receiver core—they were more than capable of of playing real football. It's very hard; it's almost impossible, Al, to evaluate properly and accurately anybody in a failed system from the get go. And people forget that this was a middle school to high school type of run organization and a bad one the last three years you can't you can't fairly judge talent when you're operating off of a middle school offense and then being asked to go to like a physics two offense like bobby slowick and the texans did it perfectly nico collins size speed hands catchability catching through contact we all saw the type of player that we wanted him to be whenever the texans traded up for him a few years ago this year in this offense and so I think, yeah, it's a little bit of the scheme, but it's a little bit of who's teaching that scheme and a lot of it who your quarterback is. If you've got a quarterback, you can do a lot of things. And the Washington Commanders, you know this, with that number two overall pick, you can get whoever you want in the draft this year.
1: Yeah, well, almost whoever. <laughs> uh, the Texans this NFL postseason faced two of the best defenses in the NFL in those of the Cleveland Browns and Baltimore Ravens. Uh, in fact, if you go by DVOA for the 2023 regular season, the Ravens were number one in total defense. The Browns were number two. Uh, the Texans offense in the wildcard round was great. Uh, a 45-14 home blowout of the Browns. But The Texans offense in the divisional round got shut down in the uh, 34-10 loss at the Ravens this past Saturday. What went so well for Bobby Slowick against that great Browns defense that did not go so well against that great Ravens defense?
3: Well, the Browns only blitzed C.J. Stroud eight times. Pressured him eight times in that game. And I think he was perfect. I I think he nearly had a perfect quarterback rating against pressure when the Browns gave it to him. So that was a big one. The Ravens, in week one, they blitzed him 14 times. We saw how that went. Um, The other day, they blitzed C.J. Stroud. uh, What was it? Some ridiculous number. I think close to 70% of the dropbacks for C.J. were under pressure, and they'd gotten to him, almost cut the time in half. That the Texans had routinely had, that Stroud had routinely had to throw the football, so they were on top of him. Now look, the Texans, at this point in time, they were were on their seventh different starting offensive line. They just reinserted George Fant back as a starter a, a week or two prior to that. Um, Laramie Tunsil was banged up Juice Scruggs is playing out of position at left guard they've got a guy that I thought they absolutely hated and wanted them to fall off the face of the earth to be honest with you and Michael Dieter playing center for them. Shaq Mason had been the only guy that they paid up and locked up through 2026 that I felt like uh, they knew and thought they would have for them at right guard all season and that's the way that it was I think that Ravens defense and that front seven simply suffocated and overwhelmed the Texans and it was best on best and the Ravens were clearly by far and away the best front seven against the Texans offensive line. So I think there was that. I also think Bobby Slovak at times um was maybe kind of forced into this, you know, with the flea flicker to Xavier Hutchinson and a couple other things. He got too cute. And there were times where, you know what, this season that had been the case. And if we had the opportunity to talk to Bobby Sloak after that game, which of course we didn't, and we probably won't until next training camp, he'd probably tell you that, you know what, if week one rocked his boat against that same Ravens team, then that division around game sunk it. And he'd probably be the first to tell you that, you know what, we needed to do some things differently there, um, and that's just a coach believing in his players, believing in his scheme, and believing that you know he could have done something different to put them in better position to have more success. But I mean, let's be honest—we all watch that game. That Ravens team is legit, and I think the far and away, in my opinion, favorite to win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, they just don't look like they have a flaw at all, um, and I think. A game like this, in an off-season like this, with a hot coordinator, a hot commodity like Bobby Sloak has become as the season grew along, this is one of those instances where that last game, it might have been a stinker, it might have been the only non-competitive game amongst the four that were played this past weekend. Probably not going to hurt Bobby Sloick's, uh opportunities, but again... I just don't think that he's ready. And I don't even really believe, Al, that a lot of teams believe that he's ready to be their head coach. We see this all the time. You want to get in the system, it's a fact-finding mission. You want to talk to everybody that had any realm of success with a young quarterback, um, with talent that may be played over their heads, um, that's going to have an opportunity like Washington to go out spend some money, get some better talent in there, that has big draft capital, that is going to bring in a new quarterback, um, that has a new direction under new ownership. You're going to talk to a guy like Bobby Slowick who had already had all of those experiences
1: the previous year. Terrific insight on Bobby Slowick, Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610-KILT in Houston. Uh, Sean, thank you and all the best. Hey, always love talking ball with you, Al. Thanks, man. All right. Well, the Texans are not playing this Sunday, what is Conference Championship Sunday, Uh, the team that ended their season, the Ravens, are playing, Uh, as is Ben Johnson's team, the Lions, Uh, as is Bobby Slowick's former team, and also Adam Peters' former team the 49ers. Uh, We have the AFC Championship game, the Kansas City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens this Sunday afternoon at 3. We have the NFC Championship game, the Detroit Lions at the San Francisco 49ers this Sunday evening at 6.30. A whole lot of opportunity to make money Via Underdog Fantasy, which offers daily pick 'em games that are super easy and fun. Just correctly pick whether certain players in each game will go higher or lower given totals, and you win. Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play. Fantasy sports, And it has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $100 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code Galdi and to make a first deposit of at least $10. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Uh, Underdog Fantasy also offers a season-long fantasy with a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be really time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and... The potential to win money and take advantage of the free money. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use that promo code GALDI. We, on Wednesday's show, episode 747, ended our segment on the Capitals' 5-3 loss at the Minnesota Wild on Tuesday night, reacting to Caps head coach Spencer Carberry during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night, saying that his team's game at the Colorado Avalanche late night on Wednesday night was a big one. Uh, Carberry said, quote, we're in playoff mode right now, end quote. Uh, well, <laughs> the Caps in this game at the Avalanche late night on Wednesday night got smashed. Uh, a 6 2 loss at the Avalanche. Uh, the Caps now have lost three consecutive games in regulation for the first time in this NHL regular season, in which they now are 22, 18, and 6 with a goal differential of minus 30. That is the third worst. Gold differential in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Caps are six out of eight teams in the Metropolitan Division, and it is looking more and more like the Caps need to be sellers regarding the NHL trade deadline, although we still have some time until that. The 2024 NHL trade deadline is not until March 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern, but the Avalanche is one of the best teams in the Western Conference. The Avs now are tied with the Winnipeg Jets for first in the Central Division, and the Caps late night on Wednesday night got ripped. Uh, they entered the third period trailing 4 nothing. The Caps got shredded by one of the best players in the NHL Avalanche Center, Nathan McKinnon. He had four goals and a secondary assist. Uh, Charlie Lindgren was the cap starting goaltender for the fifth time in seven games, but he was not good. He stopped just 25 of the 31 shots on goal that he faced. Linggren per natural stat trick gave up two goals on high danger shots on goal, gave up two goals on medium danger shots on goal, and gave up two goals on low danger shots on goal. Uh, cap special teams were horrible. Uh, the Caps went just a two 2-4 on the penalty kill, went 0-5 on the power play, and the Caps gave up a first period shorthanded goal. Second time in three games that the Caps gave up a first period shorthanded goal. The Caps, per natural stat trick, actually had 62 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Avalanche's 50, but Caps special teams were so bad that the Caps doing well in 5-on-5 play didn't matter. Uh, the biggest bright spot for the Caps uh, was the man who has been their biggest bright spot this season, top-line center Dylan Strom. Uh, he scored both of the Caps' goals, which were third-period even tramp goals, giving him a team-leading 18 goals in this regular season. Uh, top-line left-wing Alex Ovechkin had a secondary assist, but also zero shots on goal. He did have five total shot attempts. Uh, here was Spencer Carberry during his postgame session with reporters late night on Wednesday night.
4: Yeah, I, I liked a lot of the things that we did tonight to, to be honest with you. I know the scoreboard will not uh, reflect that whatsoever, but I liked a lot of the things that we did from an energy standpoint, structure standpoint, um, offensive zone, even, even some entry stuff, which, which has been a struggle for us of being able to generate at least a few, uh, I wouldn't say great A's, but some, some looks there of, of us being able to attack off, off a short three on two in some of those scenarios. So I, I, I liked a lot. Obviously, the difference in the game is um, three of the best players on the planet um, are the difference.
1: Yes, they are. Next up for the Caps at the Dallas Stars, Saturday afternoon at 2. The Wizards on Wednesday night played the first of two home games on back-to-back nights, but let us be honest, uh, what matters the most with our tanking Wizards right now is what they're thinking and what they're going to be doing regarding the NBA trade deadline, which is just two weeks away. Uh, The 2024 NBA trade deadline is on Thursday, February 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, One of the more notable items that has come up regarding the Wizards has come from ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj! Uh, He, on the episode of his podcast, The Woj Pod, uh, that came out this past Tuesday, said that the Wizards are, quote, very reticent, end quote, to trade Kyle Kuzma. Here's what Woj said.
4: You're struggling to see where the sellers are. You know, you'll keep an eye on Washington, Kyle Kuzma, Tyus Jones, but Washington's been very reticent with Kyle Kuzma. You know, people are calling them. You know, teams tell me they call them. They're not getting counters from Washington. If you want to register an offer for Kuzma, fine, you can do it. But they're not at the point now where it seems like they're really active in, you know, maybe seriously trying to move him. Could change by the deadline. Uh, But uh, I know Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, those guys like Kuzma, like having him there. I think they'll be particular about what they might do.
1: All right. So my immediate reaction to that is that the Wizards are coming off as reticent to trade Kyle Kuzma because that is a negotiating ploy. (laughs) That is gamesmanship. That is the Wizards playing the game. That is monumental basketball president Michael Winger and Wizards general manager Will Dawkins doing their best to drive up the price for trading for Kuzma. I don't get why the Wizards would not be open to trading Kyle Kuzma, especially given the relatively team-friendly contract that he's under. I mean, that should make Kuzma even more attractive. It was this past July 8th that the Wizards officially announced having re-signed Kuzma, as an unrestricted free agent. Now, the money in the contract is a little confusing. Adrian Wojnarowski on June 30th reported that Kuzma got a four-year, $102 million contract, but Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic and NBA insider Sham Sharania of The Athletic and Stadium, they on July 8th reported that the contract instead was a four-year contract with just $90 million guaranteed and, quote, $6 million in unlikely incentive bonuses tied to team performance, end quote. But whatever the case, Kuzma is under a relatively team-friendly contract, especially considering that the contract, according to Robbins and Sharania, does not include a player option, although the contract also does not include a team option and does include a 15% trade kickers. Still, this is a more than reasonable contract in today's NBA for a guy in Kuzma who is good, not great, but good. So to me, the Wizards absolutely should be open to trading Kuzma before the trade deadline. I think that they are. They just want the right price. The nice thing is that if the Wizards don't trade Kuzma now, they could always do so this coming offseason or next season. Uh, although Kuzma now is in his age 28 season so he is getting close to 30. Uh, As for Wednesday night uh, the Wizards did lose Uh, they for this NBA regular season fell to 7 and 36 second worst record in the NBA a 118-107 loss to the Western Conference leading Minnesota Timberwolves at Capital One Arena the uh, Timberwolves are tied with the Oklahoma City Thunder for the best record in the Western Conference. Uh, Kyle Kuzma. He in 34 minutes, 45 seconds as a starter, went 3 of 8 on threes, 2 of 3 on twos, and 4 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 17 points, 14 rebounds, and 8 assists. So he nearly had a triple double, but he did commit 5 turnovers. The Wizards in this game tripled up the Timberwolves in terms of turnovers. The Wizards committed 21 turnovers to the Timberwolves 7 and were outscored in points off turnovers. 32-4. That right there was the game. But good yet again for the Wizards was Marvin Bagley III. Boy, has he been good since being acquired via trade with the Detroit Pistons on January 14th. Bagley in exactly 26 minutes off the bench, 7 of 8 from the field, all twos. He did go just 3 of 8 on free throws, but he finished with 17 points and 15 rebounds, including 6 offensive boards. The Wizards for the game had just seven offensive rebounds. Bagley had six of those rebounds. The Timberwolves had 15 offensive rebounds and outscored our Wizards in second chance points, 19-9, 7-1 Timberwolves center Rudy Gobert. He in 34 minutes, 45 seconds as a starter had 16 rebounds, including seven offensive boards. Uh, also for the Wizards, Denny Avdia, 37 minutes, 33 seconds as a starter. He went four of five on threes, three of seven on twos, six of six on free throws. He finished with 24 points, six assists versus two turnovers and six rebounds, although he did have a game worse plus minus rating of minus 16. Also, Jordan Poole, another bad game. Man, is he having A bad season, 28 minutes, 12 seconds as a starter, just two of 11 from the field, one of four on threes, one of seven on twos. He scored just seven points, and he committed four turnovers. Next up for the Wizards, home to the Utah Jazz, Thursday night at 7. Well, college basketball on Wednesday night, we had Maryland overcoming a double-digit deficit. We had Virginia blowing a double-digit lead, but we had each team winning. Uh, Maryland for this season improved at 12-8 and overall and 4-5 and in the Big Ten with a 69-67 win at Iowa. On Wednesday night, the Terrapins overcame a 10-point first-half deficit. They won their first one-possession game of the season. Uh, the Terps had been 0-5 in such games. In other words, games decided by three points or less. And the hero was six-one point guard Jameer Young. He connected on a game-winning driving layup with 1.5 seconds left in the second half. Young in the game went just four of 11 on twos, but he made the two that mattered the most. Uh, he, in 38 minutes as a starter, went three of four on threes and five of six on free throws, finished with 22 points, seven rebounds, and four assists versus three turnovers. Uh, Young scored 17 of his 22 points in the second half, including scoring eight points over the final 90 seconds of the game. Jameer Young is having a really good season. He's averaging 20.8 points per game. He's shooting 35 point three percent on threes. He is playing at a first team all big 10 level. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, this was yet another game for the Terps in which their offense was basically about just three players. Uh, 53 of the Terps' 69 points came from Jameer Young, Julian Reese, and Dante Scott. 6'9", Julian Reese, 38 minutes as a starter, 6 of 9 from the field, all twos. He did go just 5 of 8 on free throws, but he finished with 17 points, 9 rebounds, including 5 offensive boards, 5 blocks, and 1 assist. Versus two turnovers. And 6'8, Dante Scott, he in 33 minutes as a starter went 2 of 5 on threes, 3 of 6 on twos, and 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 14 points, 2 rebounds, and 2 assists versus 2 turnovers. Uh, also, the Terps defense, very good. They held Iowa to just 3 of 14 on threes and just 21 of 43 on twos. The Terps held Iowa without a made field goal for the final 5 minutes. 41 seconds of the game, and the Terps generated 14 Iowa turnovers, although the Terps themselves committed 14 turnovers. But the Terps for this season now are number 12 in Division I and Kenpalm.com's adjusted defensive efficiency, which is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Give Turps head coach Kevin Willard credit. Uh, the Terps offense leaves a lot to be desired, but the Terps defense this season has been really good. Next up for Maryland, home to Nebraska this Saturday at noon. Meantime, Virginia, it for this season improved to 14 and 5 overall and 5 and 3 in the ACC with a 59. 59- 53 overtime win over NC State at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Wednesday night. The Cavaliers extended their home winning streak to 21 games. That is the longest current home winning streak in Division I men's basketball. Uh, Now, the Cavs did blow a 14-point second-half lead, but they doubled up NC State in overtime, 12-6. The Cavs' defense in the first half, great. In the second half, some problems. The Cavs in the first half held NC State to just 15 points, 0-3 on threes, and 6 of 21 on twos. Uh, The Cavs in the second half, allowed NC State to score 32 points, go 2 of 6 on threes, and go 12 of 24 on twos. Uh, Also, the Wahoos offense, uh, quite bad. Uh, They went just 4 of 17 on threes, just 20 of 48 on twos, and just 7 of 13 on free throws. And the Hoos committed 15 turnovers. But the Hoos out-rebounded NC State 54-32, including having 20 offensive rebounds, to C State 7, although the Who's had just 10 second chance points. to C State 6. Uh, very nice game for 6'8, Ryan Dunn. He in 35 minutes 30 seconds as a starter went 0 of 1 on threes, 6 of 9 on 2s, and 1 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 13 points, 12 rebounds, including four offensive boards, six blocks, and a plus-minus rating of plus fourteen. Uh 6'8, Merrimack transfer, Jordan Minor. Thirty minutes 22 seconds as a starter he went five of nine from the field all twos finished with 10 points and nine rebounds including six offensive boards he did go oh of two on free throws uh six five teen murray uh, from new zealand 18 minutes 37 seconds off the bench 11 points two rebounds game best plus minus rating of plus 19 he went two of two on threes one of two on twos and three of four on free throws so here was uva head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night.
4: You know, Tane came in and gave us, gave us a great lift. I was so proud of him and happy for him. You know, we've been using that don't grow weary and doing good in due time. You know, and he... he he found himself ready you know you got two guys in Jordan Miner and Tane Murray who you know a couple months ago uh, Bach and I were talking on the way here or three months he put in like well I don't know where this is gonna be but look at the roles they both played because uh you know Jordan was so physical with Burns that was uh, some bodies you know leaning against each other and going at it hard and you just look at the rebounding um deal and that's effort and so um you know our guys we got we got wobbly um, and almost fell down, but like the, the Weebles wobble, but they we popped back up and then made enough plays. And it was a defensive battle. They're very athletic and they guard you hard. And, you know, they switch off certain screens and they, they fight you to get open on cuts. So you had to be tough and sound. And when you weren't, they took your ball. And um, so it was, it was a good effort by everyone tonight for sure. A little loose turnovers, but by any means. Yes,
1: by any means. You look at KenPalm.com's adjusted efficiency margin for this season, so KenPalm.com's overall rankings for this season. Maryland, Virginia, and Virginia Tech are all in the same general area. Tech is number 60, UVA is number 64, and Maryland is number 66. You could see all three of these teams making the NCAA tournament. You could see none of these teams making the NCAA tournament. Next up for Virginia at Louisville this Saturday at noon. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 749. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also on Friday show, I'll talk Wizards. The Wizards are home to the Utah Jazz Thursday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.
0: I'll tell you who the best coach available is to make him the best player he can be. His name is Ben Johnson. He's the offense coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Never been head coach, though. I know. Runs an unbelievable offense. But he's going to be the head coach of the Commanders. I told you that.
2: So you're telling me that's, that's a lock. Yeah. Head coach of the Commanders. Yes. Ben Johnson. Yes. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.